Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and film. For this episode, Percy Jackson goes to space, the Hunger Games we must retrace, Harry Potter houses shall be embraced, and Ender's Game is our enemy's base. That's right, we're talking Pierce Brown's Red Rising. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined as always by Andrew Knuckles. Hi. And Joel Killingsworth. Hello. What was that? At least it wasn't him trying to do mine again. <laughs> True. I was I was just trying to stay on topic. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. So, uh, before we dive right into Red Rising, yeah. I, yeah, I know, that's real easy. We've got a little topic to discuss before then. So, we are going to look at a little discussion here on a first entry in a series, because that's what Red Rising is, right? Yep. First, First in a trilogy, which then grew into something larger. Uh, not a duology because that is not well, there, how that I works. think there's a game for it too, isn't there? There is. That's, that was my only familiarity with the name or the words Red Rising put yeah. together. Uh, other than, you know, like communism scares or something <laughs> uh, until Brent suggested this for us. But yeah. before we get into that, uh, we're looking at the first entry in a series and, you know, just kind of pitching one just to start off because this, from our perspective, as we're going to get into, this is a pretty good start to a series. Yeah. And so we're going to jump off of that and I'm going to throw this over to Joel. All right. Well, I have brought a, a book, not science fiction, but fantasy. Okay. And so I am offering up Black Prism, which is the first installment in the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks. Okay. Okay. I don't know anything I, about yeah, any no, of this. All of those were words that I have never heard before in succession. Right. So. With this one, you have uh, the the main character starting out. Gavin Guile is uh, oh, no. basically the emperor of the known world. Mm-hmm. And he is given this position by right of being the singular most powerful magic user in this world. Everyone who is, uh, you know, gifted with magic has the ability to use one or two or three or maybe even five different colors of magic as they're. They're denoted. Okay. But he is the only one capable of using all of them at the same time. So he's an airbender or the avatar. Uh, Sort of. Yeah. yeah. Sort of. And. uh, Or misborn. So over. (laughs) (laughs) We can keep going with this. Uh, But he has uh, a a limit on his power and it's not what he can do, but how long he can do it. And his term and associated to that, his life is coming to an end. And so he has this list of things that he feels like he needs to accomplish and the rest of the government isn't necessarily cooperating with him. And so he goes on a kind of clandestine mission to um, attempt to accomplish these great acts before his time runs out and maybe find a way to, to escape his fate. Okay. okay. Interesting. Yeah. You start out with this book. You're like, well, he's the emperor. I was like, well, the story arc's over. We missed the whole story. <laughs> and and he's not he's not even the only main character, but that's like where the where it really where it centers at the up. beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many uh how large is the series? It's a five book series. Five book series? Yeah. Okay. Have you read all of them? I have. Do you like them all? Very much. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just like a, a one and done where the first book is really good and then after no, that kind of tapers. This just like I was I was thinking I, I wanted to do a representation from a fantasy series and this one was the only one that I could think of where the first installment really punches hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other series that I really like, the first one was okay. It's enough, but then it really gets good later. But yeah. this one starts really good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, Andrew. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm going with my tried and true 
anime because you know that's how this works. Yeah. Uh, so mine is called Psychopass. It is okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you're re- kind of familiar with it, but the the general story is it is in the the far future where um, you can there's these things called crime coefficients that uh, basically it reads kind of like your your general mental stability um, and how you uh, you know uh, if you're angry if you're sad that kind of stuff and the more stressed you get the more yeah, likely you are to cause a crime basically mm-hmm. basically and uh, if you're familiar with minority report um, mm-hmm. there are yeah. uh, detectives called enforcers where they have this kind of thing where they don't actually um like they don't have like ballistic weapons like revolvers and guns and everything in this this universe um they're kind of, they're all banned essentially mm-hmm. and they have these things called enforcers that use these guns called dominators where the dominator will basically read your the person's crime coefficient and if it is past a certain level it'll just kill them mm-hmm. um and that's, that's the general gist of it is uh relatively dystopian just because everyone has their own specific kind of role and it follows this young detective that is entering the force from uh university essentially mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of follow. It's like a cyberpunk crime detective show. Yeah, I, the the really because I've I've seen mm-hmm. Psychopaths. Oh, think, okay. I think the most interesting part of it is watching how the characters respond to different moral dilemmas because they don't actually have choice. Right mm-hmm. the 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 Big Brother esque eye in the sky kind of yeah. supercomputer that controls their weapons is choosing for them mm-hmm. and. And so when when they're faced with moral choices, they may disagree with what is decided for them. Mm-hmm. And so that provides a lot of interesting conflict. Yeah. And the the first season of the show is really, really good. Uh, and it goes, all, I think, all the way up to like episode 24 ish, I think, for the first season. Mm-hmm. And then um, the second season, unfortunately, is uh, it tries to retread a lot of what happens and then it's not that good. And then, but then they have a movie for it, which is essentially question season three, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good. And then uh, hypothetically, there was a season four that's going to happen at some point, but who knows? But the first season is really good. And you can pretty much like, you don't have to go beyond that to, to get a complete story. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I waffled. I waffled on mine. <laughs> I'm weak. I can't decide which one I want to go with. So I'm going to, I'm going to also land down on anime. Okay. Because why not? We've, we've determined I have no specialty. I'm just here to touch on everything. <laughs> he is the jack of all trades. Yes. So I'm going with Aldnoa Zero. Okay. I don't know if you are familiar with it or not. I'm not. Okay. I so, am. Yes. So it is large robots, anime, kind of a classic, understandable setting. But it is, and Andrew's going to correct me on the main points when I get this all wrong. <laughs> but there is essentially a plot. and There is a plot. Yes. Also a plot within the plot. But you have the uh, power struggle between Mars Mm -hmm. and Earth. Mm -hmm. And basically it ends with Mars coming up with a reason to attack Earth. A causus belli, if you will. I've totally butchered that word, but it's okay. And they send down their giant robots and they're way technologically ahead of Earth, essentially. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the initial defenses just kind of get destroyed. So in classic... Well, it's more of a sneak attack, but... It is, yeah. well, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But in a classic anime large robot trope, it is up to the children to save the world. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty much te- how it always the goes. The teenagers who are in training. And each episode kind of breaks down into where the big bad boss, which is a Martian knight, so a 
just a, a I, I very really, large, I really want to, I really want to say Gundam pilot over and over again. I can't because yeah. it's not Gundam, but yeah, a, a large mecha pilot is presents a series of problems. Essentially, each each mecha is kind of a puzzle box for the students. So it kind of goes through each episode. How do they divert? face avoid and and ultimately overcome these big bosses so it's kind of almost every episode is almost like a zelda boss where it has a weakness they have to find it etc and the whole story that's going on within this is is pretty much complete by the time season one ends yeah i don't i don't think that the people who wrote it expected there to be a season two because Mm -hmm. they they pretty definitively end season one so um fun fact uh gen orobochi uh he wrote season one of Aldo Noah Zero, he also wrote season one of Psychopaths. Oh, and, perfect. I nailed this. he chose to leave at the end of season one for both shows. Oh, and they both and suffered. <laughs> both season two um, follow-ups were very bad. Yeah. I Well, I really just don't think that it was intended for there to be a second season of Aldo Noah Zero because the ending is pretty clear cut mm-hmm. what happens. And then the second season picks up and it's like, oh, by the way, here's this back. And it's like, that's not how this works. <laughs> well, and what happens with um, with season two of Aldnoa specifically is they actually revert a lot of the character development that happens mm-hmm. through most of the show because they they just didn't really know where to go with it. Well, and then the power creep just kind of goes out of control. That's that's generally a problem with with mecha sh- series. Well, specifically just for the main character, his power creep goes out yeah. of control, and it just it just it gets weird. And a big pivotal character who was around for all of season one isn't in season two and they try to like replace her with other people and yeah. it just it, it just doesn't work the story doesn't support the story but, ended at season one but, but season one is honestly like really fantastic it's it's a it's really, really good, good 12 episode just encapsulated story that has some really good kind of like i'll say game of game of thrones level betrayals mm-hmm. and uh just really well, solid action because all of the the martian knights each are kind of leading their own separate invasion and it's kind of a contest between them of who can mm-hmm. do the best mm-hmm. yeah, so they're all very... so they're all overreaching each other and that's kind of leaving them with these vulnerable points vulnerable points that the mm-hmm. children can exploit yeah and yeah. these vulnerable moments or where one betrays the other in an attempt to further their own gains etc yeah having having warring factions within a seemingly unassailable single faction is always a really fun dynamic mm-hmm. to explore. Yeah, i mean it's about yeah, the it's, only it's, way to make it reasonable for yeah. them to be beaten yeah because it, you know, it's a very feudal style system mm-hmm. which is actually gonna be perfect for red rising there's there's a reason why i waffled back and i was <laughs> yeah. like wait no this is mars and okay yeah yeah, 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 we'll, like, no, this works yeah we'll, we'll go with this uh, but no, it, it first season is great. If I remember correctly, it's probably it was on Netflix. I think it's still on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's still on. Netflix. I definitely watched it on Netflix. Yeah. So it it's out there if people want to watch it. It first season is great. Second season I can't recommend. Yeah, just one, once once um, yeah once you get to I think episode twelve, just stop watching and <laughs> you will just enjoy you you will you will stop watching the show knowing that it ended on a, a great cliffhanger kind of finishing. Style it, it may and not, then you never have to think about it again outside of anything. Oh, that was a great show. Yeah, it may not ultimately be a completely satisfying ending, mm-hmm. but it kind of fits with kind of the darker like this. They are really fighting against a stronger power mm-hmm. than them at the end of the day. Well, so. and a lot of times with with these kind of shows, it's really successful, and then the production company's like, "We want more. We want to make more money." And the writers are like, "We don't have more." <laughs> and the production company's like, "Too bad. You have to make more." Family Guy is that you? <laughs> I mean, that's it's that's pretty much any like super kind of, popular syndicated show. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the classic American example at this point. Mm. Is it? God, is it still going on? Yeah. Oh no. Anyways, moving on. 
We kind of covered that, wrapped that up pretty well. So we're going to get into the meat of the show, which is talking about Red Rising, Mm -hmm. which is a book. It is a book. Our first book. Our first book. And I do uh, want to give a shout out to Brent Wong, a listener who suggested for us to cover this. None of us had read it. I don't know if we necessarily really even heard of it. No, I hadn't. So my wife had read it um, back in maybe 2018. And okay. she mentioned it to me. She was like, oh, you should, you would probably really like this. And, you know, at the time I was just like, oh, I'm good. I'm kind of done with Audible for right now. I don't want to <laughs> listen to any more books. Then a, then a friend who you don't live with suggested, you're like, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it's, when it's required reading, then, uh, you know, I'm, that's fair. I don't have yeah. a choice. But I do. <laughs> wow. Wow. That <laughs> made me be here. <laughs> I, I do want to give props, though, because initial synopsis look. I, you know, my eyes glazed over a little. I'm like, oh no, YA dystopianism stuff. Brent, what have you done to us? <laughs> but all's well, it ends well. It, it was better than that initial expectation. And maybe that might actually color our scores. Where it's like, oh, I expect this to be terrible. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so, Joel, uh, you yes. want to go over our score? Yeah. And then I'll go into maybe a little well, breakdown I think, of I think bad that, synopsis first. Yeah, bad synopsis, bad synopsis first. first. Bad all right, synopsis so first. bad synopsis. This is a far future sci-fi yes. where still in Earth's solar system, humanity hasn't really branched out farther than that, but all of the planets uh, and whatnot are in, are in play, right? Mm. And so you have uh, a very rigid caste system that are denoted by colors. And so your, your, your color is essentially your race that you're born into, your caste. And you have a very specific sort of role in society mm-hmm. that you play. And there's no mobility right very rigid you can't you can't get a better life for yourself or, or anything like that yeah, mm-hmm. even if you're in the lower side of a specific cast you're still you're there yeah yep. you don't really migrate it within the cast once so, a red always a red so yeah so they're denoted by colors red being the lowest red are the miners and the the general servants of of mm-hmm. everybody else and so the story is about a uh, uh an exceptional individual who is a red uh, who is recruited by a resistance movement to undergo rigorous body modifications to pass himself off as a member of the highest caste, which is the Golds, mm-hmm. and participate in their elite uh, training training academy training slash recruiting. Uh, yeah, yeah, to, it's like to, a military academy kind of to become a member of their highest ostensibly merit based. Um, uh, subcast yeah. right with within their overall cast, mm-hmm. and from there potentially be able to enact change or be in a position to help a revolution take place. And so that's that's the goal mm. for the character as we enter into the story. Yeah, well, that was that was not a bad synopsis. That was a good synopsis. Okay, yeah. Props. it was a synopsis. It was in fact a. Synopsis. It occurred. So for general score, we gave this novel a seven point nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. So fairly high. Yeah. Um, and the. Well, we can blame Joel for a little bit of. The, I, I pulled it down just a little we'll bit. Find, we'll find. We'll, <laughs> if, if people make it through, we'll find out once we get into the spoiler zone. Uh, and, and that score is taken off of four categories in our right. rubric for books. That being setting, character, plot, and the writing. The writing being just how the author was able to communicate the setting, character, and plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of the overarching piece, because obviously we can't adapt the rubric from films or series. There's no music. There's no spectacle. Unless you did the audible. And then there is spectacle. 
It's well, just a different kind of spectacle. It's, bit, yeah. it's the writing, really. Is there's, the no, spectacle. there's no yeah. performance unless you listen to the audiobook. There's, there's a score if you listen to the audiobook. Uh, not, at the end of this one, at I, least. I mean, there there's one song. You can give song. a score on one song. <laughs> <laughs> Take it or break it, boys. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that, uh, that pretty well covered it. Well, yeah. I mean, we also need to give our general... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Trying to jump ahead. It is not the intermission. I'm yet. ready. I'm ready <laughs> to be entertained. He, he looks at me. He's like, "Hey, you're getting ready to do your intermission speech?" No, I'm not. All right. Well, let's let's hear some <laughs> let's hear some some props and some negatives then, Andrew. Okay, sure. Since you're ready to go on this. Okay, so going going into this book, I, I literally knew absolutely nothing about this book besides the title, which was Red Rising, and I knew it was a YA dystopian. That's that is about as far as I got. I didn't read a synopsis. I had no idea what it was about at all. And going into the book was kind of fun because I, I got to learn about the world like I had no idea what yeah. it was about. Ice cold. Yeah, completely cold. And it was actually really fun. Uh, the, the, the way that it was written, which is in first person present. Present tense, tense yeah. Um, was... Very off-putting. I've never read a book in that tense before. Mm. And it took me probably about a third of the book to finally get used to it. Mm-hmm. And But once you get used to it and, and he actually has people to talk to him and everything, then it, it makes a, a big difference and it actually kind of brings you into a lot of the action that happens later on in the book. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought the setting was was pretty cool, if not a little bit generic, just because, you know, far future caste system all these you know all the kind of stuff you see like hunter hunger games Mm -hmm. and you know whatnot i mean that's just part of it but overall i I really enjoyed it i was it was way better than what i was expecting it to be because i was expecting like hunger games Mm -hmm. and i got kind of like a lord of the flies that's hunger games uh, uh, no i no hunger games is battle royale there's a big difference between that and and lord of the flies a little bit they because there's there's a structured battle system where this is more of a feudal style you just have to survive but you can survive in any way that you need to choose and turns out everyone likes to choose combat yeah so i i would say for me this this struck kind of a combination between hunger games and ender's game okay which i have not read it kind of kind of felt like a mesh of those two concepts oh that's a really good it's also really short I I would say though you know it it we're talking about it in terms of YA dystopian because that's what the stories that are most like it are mm-hmm. but this really goes really hard into handling adult themes that come about through uh powerful individuals forcing their will on other powerful individuals through the use of violence yeah. and so that that you there- know if 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 you're squeamish about that kind of thing then then you know tread with care it is a little more adult than your typical ya dystopian it was quite graphic yeah yeah it was so you know i'm echoing some of what's already been said this is a really tightly written fast pace from the book once it starts going goes yeah like it, it hits the gas and it just does not stop. there are no breaks yeah yeah uh it's very very personal because of the first person present yeah. tense mm-hmm. and that that works for the action sequences and kind of the playing off the unreliable narrator and you know oh well who what do you actually know about these people what does he actually know about himself etc it works really well for that i think the biggest single concern outside of the fact that it is you know first person present tense which is already kind of an awkward 
writing style. Andrew already said it took him a while to adapt to it. There are a lot of people who just won't read books in that mm-hmm. chosen set, chosen mm-hmm. style. It, it was very weird. Yeah. It, it, no, I, and I totally agree with that. <laughs> uh, but for me, my biggest concern there is because it is that style, it's very reliant on you kind of emotionally identifying with the character and what's happening. Mm-hmm. So if that misses for you, this could be a rough read. Yeah, yeah. it could be a pretty pretty big slog if right. you're if you're not invested in his motivations. Well, and if it just if it doesn't resonate with you, if it doesn't click, then there's there are no other perspectives. There's no other character perspectives. This the whole book is kind of wasted on you in a sense. So there is a big risk in that for the author uh, Pierce Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he pulled it off. You know, for me, obviously, it it resonated. It clicked. So I think he pulled it off. For mm-hmm. others, it may not be the case. So that's maybe my only cautionary tale because he did he used a lot of stuff that we're familiar with hunger game hunger game i reference it in the title i'm not gonna say these words anymore <laughs> uh, and we, we've seen it before percy jackson you know it's very uh roman and greek mythology yeah it's it they are not the literal gods from it but they pretend they like to think they are and of yeah. course it plays into it right because we're dealing with the solar system and what are the planets all named after yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i mean pretty i was quite frankly, very surprised by how good it ended up being. And, you know, maybe some of that, you know, we'll let Joel get in here and, and go to town once we get past the spoiler wall. <laughs> Cause maybe some of that was just because my expectations weren't high to start. I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. And, you know, as we head into the intermission, if you don't want to risk hearing the forbidden song, we understand if you like what you've heard so far, we'd appreciate it. If you supported the show at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. And if you're brave enough to join us in the dance, Listen on. All righty, we are beyond the intermission. Past the spoiler wall, everything ahead is weapons-free, enter if you dare. Yep. So right off- Much like the valley. Much yeah. like the valley, <laughs> yeah. yes. So right off the bat, we are going to talk about the setting, which is somewhat self-explanatory in mm-hmm. itself. We didn't choose an opaque word to describe this, which is kind of nice. And it's basically, how where is the book set? How is it set? Where does everything take what place? What time period? What time period? But also, how well does it sell that? Mm-hmm. Does it feel... Because there are a lot of shows and movies especially, and books, because it's easier to mess it up in a film or a movie, right? Because you don't get as much time to talk about the setting. Yeah. And there's also a lot of books where they spend too much time talking about the setting, <laughs> and that can be a detractor. Mm-hmm. So that is what we're looking at. I'm going to toss this to Andrew first. Oh, sure. Okay. So I gave setting a seven. And really just because the the general setting for just dystopian stuff always kind of feels the same. It's mm-hmm. most of the time always far future mm-hmm. where there's high, like really high technology, very big differences in classes of, you know, you, you have the, the haves and definitely the have nots. And there's always going to be some kind of, you know, resistance movement that tries to take over and, and overthrow the people that are in power. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much every dystopian way yeah. that you can kind of, I mean, like you just every single one just check boxes. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much no different now, kind of like what Joel said earlier, 
was the fact that it it is a YA dystopian because that's kind of like the easiest way to compare it. But I think you said that this was actually marketed as a sci-fi. It was marketed as sci-fi. Right. And because of that, knowing that, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, I, that, I don't think it really changes what my score would be. But, you know, the settings, I mean, like, it was exactly what I expected it to be. Even though I didn't, even going into it, I still didn't know anything about it. I was like, well, I could probably expect some kind of, I did not expect it to be on different planets. Mm -hmm. That is the Uh one thing I I was like, ooh, they're on Mars. And then they're like, we're talking about like Ceres and other, you know, like really far planets and moons and everything. So that got me pretty excited and pretty interested in in the general story as as it went on. Well, you're you're a big fan of The Expanse, which is another <laughs> yeah. sci-fi that's limited to the known solar system. Mm-hmm. And, and this is similar si- yeah. scenario, yeah. situation. I can't remember if, if in The Expanse they actually treated Pluto as a planet. I I don't remember Pluto don't think ever they being mentioned. mentioned. I don't think they ever mention it. They may have mentioned it like They didn't passing. really mention Neptune. You know Pretty what? much that, nothing past Saturn. I'm, I'm yeah. giving I'm going to give setting more points just for that. Pluto came back as a planet. <laughs> Props. Pluto came in back as a planet. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to take over the setting. We're going to we're going to we're going to give a little high note here. We're going to bump up the score a little bit more. I gave it a nine. Ooh, mm-hmm. because bumpity bumpity. From from my perspective, is it YA dystopia? Yes. Yes. Is it the best developed YA dystopia ever? Probably. Which, knowing from I mean, Joel, I mean, ever ever is strong, but so it far is, it's pretty good. So far, yeah. I there's nothing that I've it, it seen is definitely up there or touched upon that is this well fleshed out top to bottom in terms of where they live, what's happening, how they got here in a mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. Uh, the, everyone's places within it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which so it makes more sense now that it was marketed or published as sci-fi yeah. versus YA. Given that context, it makes more sense. There's just that much level of detail, which mm-hmm. obviously I appreciate it. Well, and and some of the technology that they have feels more like magic and more fantasy elements. But but like when you're when you're dealing with far future, like you can't really get away from that because the the only tie that you have to something that's like hard science fiction mm-hmm. is that it's just like Far one enough. one or two advancements mm-hmm. ahead of where you are. Mm-hmm. So you could envision being there. Yeah. Whereas this is so far ahead of where we are that we just can't. Mm-hmm. And we got a little bit of your pet peeve, Joel. We didn't. We didn't get a lot of. Oh, we're going to talk about that in the writing section. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but we got. A, we got a little bit of it. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was egregious. Yeah. Where terms. where they they have like like blood oranges from this place being Isolanian called you know whatever. Yeah. Sandworms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Argorian jingleberries. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's berry, but you don't have to know what the rest of that means. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of it, but it felt like it was slang offshoots. Mm-hmm. Of, so it, it, felt it felt naturally like it derivative. Yeah, naturally well, developed. Talking about slang, one of my favorite pieces of the world building was the swearing, right? Yes, um, yes. Because they they had Finally. not Real, not Real of only time, take notes. Not only was it uh, swearing that kind of tells you where characters are from, mm-hmm. it actually becomes important to the plot. Yeah. which is also really wonderful where you can tie setting into the plot. Well, and because, yeah, because once, whenever someone breaks that, uh, whenever Darrow breaks that kind of thought process, whenever mm-hmm. he's confronting Apollo at the end of the book and he, you know, he says that and you're just like, oh no. Yeah, and also it's it's really great too 
because, you know, outwardly Darrow is trying to be, to pretend to be from this completely alien culture from his, right? Because there's, there, there's no commonality between the culture of the golds and culture of the reds, more or less. They are people. That's about it. Yeah. There, there's the golds don't even look at them as people. So. Right. No, exactly. But but where so outwardly he is always using the phrases and like through the whole like second act of the book, it's it's you're just hit over and over again with these are the things you have to do to pretend mm-hmm. to be a gold. Mm-hmm. Stop doing that. It's going to give you away as a red. So they're very clearly highlighted for you as the reader during that section. And then you get to uh, the later sections. And even while he is externally in the dialogue using the gold lingo internally in his own monologue, he's still using the red lingo, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And I'd really curious to see in future books if that is a knob that the author chooses to use to start slowly shifting so that you could watch his internal identity begin to change right. in that Be- way. Because that is that is a large concern for Darrow throughout yeah. is losing who he is, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll get a little, probably a little more into that in the plot. Yeah, sorry, I I, I drew well, us away. Yeah, <laughs> pulled us pull us away from the setting. Uh, but yeah, like I gave setting an eight. Okay. So like I'm yeah, I'm we'll, sitting I'm we'll sitting hit, in the we'll middle. Hit the spread. I yeah. still, still like it overall. I felt like naming the cast's colors is a bit simplistic. I would like something a little bit more advanced. And basically, they all what, were what? physically the same color as the color of their cast, and that just That's kind of a little too Power Rangers. Yeah. Well, okay. So, in place of colors, what would you want? I would want, um, I would want made-up words that sound like they're not made up. It's, ve- it's. I will admit, it's very difficult to pull off correctly. Isn't isn't that what you just would knock it for for like Ithilian thornberries? No, because that's berries, Get it right. <laughs> that's a very specific formula. Yeah, and right. I'd, right. Like calling them rusters mm-hmm. because they work. Metallic in, or underground on the red planet on the red planet like that is a th- I really like that but mm-hmm. like all of the slang that the that the cast had for one another I really love those words but even mm-hmm. even that is a more derogatory term right because within sure. the individual cast you have low red high red mm-hmm. where high red isn't doing hard physical labor they're more household servants these kinds of things mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm not saying that I have the solution yeah. I'm just saying I know what shape the solution is <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah, that's fair. But I, I will say I really appreciate the level of nuance throughout the setting. Even within the cast, you, yes. have, you have a high and a low. Uh, you, you start to get into the further Darrow gets into gold society, mm-hmm. you start to hit where it's no longer unambiguously, oh, all golds are just horrible people. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just people. here to have fun. They're just people. And that's, yeah. and that's what I really – what really redeemed the cast system mm-hmm. to me is that, okay, so on a surface level, we have a mile wide and an inch deep, but then once you start drilling into, mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit of the reds, we don't really spend much time with them. It's right. mostly in the golds. And it's there's, like, are these people really bad? It's really, well, are they really bad? But not only that, like there's, there's several different layers. There's, there's like four different layers within the golds mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. that within each of those layers, there are individual power yeah. struggles, right? No, so like, it's very, very deep once he actually goes into it. And I feel like that really redeems mm-hmm. a lot of, of the whole feeling of the world. Right. And that's, that's where my high score is coming from mm-hmm. is there is a ton of nuance. There are a lot of, it's, it's like an onion, right? There's a lot of layers mm-hmm. and it also kind of makes you cry, <laughs> but mostly there's a lot of layers. And the more that our main character peels back as he experiences mm-hmm. and the more he sees, the more opportunity there is to question 
what he's doing, who he is, etc. as he tries to find his place within that setting. Yeah. Well, speaking of character. Yes. You get to go. I get to go. So I gave, <laughs> I gave Andrew's char- the captain now. I gave character a seven. Okay. Um, I felt that Darrow as a protagonist was pretty well handled. Yeah. Um, he, you understand his motivations. There's, there's very deep feelings, um, right up from like, I mean, from the first scene, he's gushing about EO. And so, you know, she's dead. Yeah. But <laughs> but it, it was funny too because whenever i i saw him like kind of talking about his wife yeah. so much i'm like oh that is just death flags yep. all over oh, the yeah. place oh yeah and then she's just like i want us to live for more i'm like nope that's two strikes you're dead <laughs> yeah oh guaranteed next scene she's out that's, yeah. that's not how baseball works joel that's <laughs> <laughs> how baseball works in the society Ooh. <laughs> two strikes you're dead, dead. You're not out you're not dead kill you <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so like, like his motivation all the way through made a ton of sense. And like what you're talking about with the internal conflict mm-hmm. of, I, I, I go through such traumatic events and bond with these people that I should hate. Mm-hmm. And, and who does that change who I am, you know, inside and that, that question continues to come up over right. and over again as he goes through this transformative experience first physically and then you know, of, of his Mentally self. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, but flip side of that, and I feel like this is partly due to the perspective that we get with that first person present tense mm-hmm. is that all of the supporting characters felt one dimensional. They're archetypes. Right? They were, they did one thing. Yeah. And none of them really had much else to offer. You know, they, know. Mustang they, had, had a decent amount. She's, she is one of the few exceptions, mm-hmm. but most of yeah, these like, characters. Like Pax is just, he's just the big brute mm-hmm. that, you know, he's Amos from the Expanse or, or you know, whatever. The, the mountain from Game of yeah. Thrones. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a just, lot of he's different. He's big guy with the axe. Right. Uh, so I guess I've kind of jumped in, so I'll take up here. Uh, I give character an eight mm-hmm. because uh, I agree. Uh, I think Darrow's development over time is really interesting. It's really neat to see both his concern for, because the longer the book goes, the longer time he is just not within his home society, who mm-hmm. he is. And so there's a really strong concern there of losing who he is. You know, I mean, his his whole physical structure is changed. Even looking at a mirror, he's not looking at the same person. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge disconnect there for him. I also really liked how at the beginning of the book, the very beginning of the book, he's a true believer. Yeah. He believes that if they turn in the most helium, They'll get the laurel, not the gammas. Yep. That they are doing the best they can to make Mars habitable. He's all in on what the society is shilling to keep the Reds in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't unhappy with his situation beyond no. as long as EO was there. Right. He he had his wife. He he had a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of demands. Mm-hmm. And but he was he was capable. He was meeting these demands, making things happen, being better at them than the people who are older than him, et cetera, et cetera, and. He really didn't have a reason to question the society outside of the questions his wife was posing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, his father, because as all good heroes, <laughs> this one isn't truly an orphan, but he's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the other limitations are there, right? First person, you just don't get a chance to get to know the other characters because we mm-hmm. never change perspective. And a lot of them are one note wonders. Uh, Andrew, I referenced Pax. Yeah. Uh, Julian is also kind of a one note wonder. He is literally just the posh British, you know, goes you to mean Cassius. You mean Cassius? No, I'm talking about Julian. I'm talking about his brother. Oh, okay. 
Cassius is also that, although he has that false nobility. Uh, maybe Julian was in the book for so short of time, I didn't even look at him as a character and just a flag. Well, Julian is important for the well, he's important the for well, he, he had to he he served a very specific purpose mm-hmm. in that you had to believe that Daryl liked him right early and quickly. Well, but he also comes in as again, like I said, the posh British, right? Yeah. So it was very much so. Oh, you'll never believe he's a supporter of York. Mm-hmm. Could you believe the team that just can't win? Who would support such a team? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I went to Cambridge. You didn't go to Oxford mm. or whatever, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, it's all, all meant in good fun, but, right? Yeah. But it, but it's the fluff of the society, mm-hmm. not the the hardness that lies underneath it. And mm-hmm. that's what Julian's really riding on. Whereas the other characters who make it further in the book <laughs> yeah. uh, are riding on the hardness yeah. of the society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew. Uh, so I, I, so Joel had a seven, uh, you had an eight, I have a nine. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we've we just of, did this around. Yeah, yeah. We, we've kind of gone over a lot of the points that I made, but because, uh, because it is present tense first person, you, you really only get Darrow as, you know, obviously mm-hmm. your, your vehicle into the story. And I, I really kind of leveled with him pretty early just with, you know, I've, I've obviously never lost a wife or anything like that, but you know, it's you can you can definitely feel the development already start taking place after she after she gets killed, and and they the author does a good job here of not cheapening that mm-hmm. right because like he he essentially commits suicide yeah, after yeah. that she and, she and, does and, and then he, and then he he's it. and then he's told no no you can't do that you have to do this instead and it takes him a while to come around and accept that yeah a lot of the times whenever you see these younger younger characters because he's 16 at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book where they're like, you have a grander purpose. You need to do this. And then next scene, okay, I'm all in. And that is just not how mm-hmm. it would go. Like, right. especially after losing your wife and you know, you're, you've been taken away from your family. And especially now you've been told the entire world that you have thought was real is now a complete lie. Yeah. And now you have to accept this. Oh, by the way, now we're going to genetic, genetically modify you to become one of the top societies and now you have to you know learn all this other you know how their mannerisms how they talk how mm-hmm. they act mm-hmm. and and now you have to treat everyone like they're lower than you because you're a gold at this point yeah except there is the the little extra wrinkle in there if the only way we can insert you is we can't replace a family that's important to society so we have to find a really really low down goal and then kill them and kill them <laughs> yeah and put you in that place which means you're still going to be treated like dirt by these people yeah yeah, which it's just that that play and that extra little bit of nuance is just so good throughout because of how mm-hmm. it works on him over time. Yeah, well, and as, as he gets further on, especially towards the end of the book, where all of his plans are kind of coming together, but then obviously the proctors are are throwing tons of wrenches in there to stop him mm-hmm. from from defeating the jackal, uh, and you can see, especially once he gets um, not betrayed, he gets defeated by Cassius. And then Mustang nurses him back to health, and then he nurses her back to health mm-hmm. in during the winter. You can really see a lot of him kind of like battling with himself mm-hmm. of like, I still, you know, EO was my wife, and you know, but you can tell that like even if he doesn't want to admit it in even in his mind, he's definitely developing feelings for Mustang mm-hmm. as he's kind of going up. Which which isn't her actual name. Her actual name is Virginia. Yeah, but but, but that's that is how he refers to her most of the time. Right. Yeah, and actually, she was and actually I, I really liked the the nicknames in the school. Right. Because like everybody that did anything of note, good or bad, got 
a moniker for it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that actually helped a lot with group characterization to rapidly characterize mm-hmm. groups of characters to kind of cut down on the work the author had to do on individuals for specifically talking about the... Um, uh, that's not the note I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> reverse, reverse. Reverse. Oh, yeah. Talk, talking about the howlers and the dead horses. Yes. Like two distinct units of fighters that just with that name, you're able to associate, oh, they were they took part in this event in the book. They did that. And they are led by this character mm-hmm. and they stay with that character because they are in one way or another like that character. And right. so that kind of takes one brush and paints the whole squad with that brush and you immediately have a picture in your mind of what well, they're like. The, the main theme of this whole battle stuff that we'll get into is tribalism. So yeah, they are yeah. kind of being placed into their own tribes by self-selection. Whenever I thought of the Howlers and uh, Severo in particular, I just thought of Princess Mononoke, of, of her just running around in a wolf pelt. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Just the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> that... For the whole book of him just running around with a spear. But at least in theory... Uh, Mononoke's wolf pelt is well cured and cleaned and theirs are not they are <laughs> yeah. dirty these yeah. kids are dirty you know, I mean they're just like hanging out in mud and climbing up latrines and oh yep. yeah and I will say you, you mentioned him the jackal mm-hmm. for a lot of characters kind of being a one-off archetype his while it is a one-off archetype it's the manipulator the, the person mm-hmm. who's willing to sacrifice anything to accomplish their objective mm-hmm. He still comes off, at least through Darrow's eyes, as a really chilling character. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of a bait and switch, right? Because you expect him to be the climactic villain, mm-hmm. and he's not. He is there to be set up for future encounters mm-hmm. in later books, because the climactic villains actually turn out to be the Proctors instead of any of the students, mm-hmm. even though he does have enemies among the students, right? And so that kind of bait and switch was actually really refreshing. I, I, really I enjoyed liked that. It, yeah. yeah. Because whenever he, whenever he basically caught the jackal in a reverse trap, mm-hmm. and and I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know where they're going to go with this if he's already got him here. And then you know, obviously, like he kills Pax, and then he runs away. And then um, whenever they, you, you know, he kill, he cuts off his own arm mm-hmm. or hand, hand to, um, to escape. Essentially, it's just like it's it definitely is a really good paramount to that kind of character. And clearly, he's still alive, so he's going to show up in other yeah. books. I'm assuming. Well, I mean, he is now, he is the son, the favored son of oh, the governor, the governor who Darrow swears himself anymore. to at the end of the book. Yeah. Well, he's not really favored anymore after he lost the. Well, he's his only son left at that point. But I mean, I guess the way that I interpreted the governor talking with Darrow at the end, he was like, hey, that guy, I don't like him anymore. You know, like you clearly defeated him. You're stronger than him. You should just be under my name. So I, I can I can use I mean, you there, there, as a surrogate an, son. There's an element of that, but there's not. He's not a man that discards resources either. So. No, of course not. But he'll probably just like he'll. I mean, again, I haven't. Stevens already. As, yeah, as the only person in this conversation who has read past the first book, I'm very much so enjoying this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're purely speculating as we have not read yeah. beyond the end yeah. of the first yeah. book. Second book is still also quite good. I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Yeah. What I've I've only like halfway through, but no. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, we're probably ready to move on into the other category, which would be plot. Yep. Where well, is that in my notes? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you get to start for that one. I know. That's why I'm trying to find it in my notes. <laughs> Did I just not name anything plot? This Wesh is the first time he actually wrote more notes. Oh, no. Than it's me. right here. I just can't see it because there's too many words. Okay. <laughs> so plot. It's like, oh, look at my notes. They are so like 
a garden that is overgrown with weeds and vines. Yes. Anyway, so plot. <laughs> so I gave it an eight. So intrigue on intrigue on intrigue. Everyone has something they want. And while they can be somewhat similar goals, they're also working towards them in different ways. They're also using other resources outside of the game. You mm-hmm. know, the game, there's a game within a game, right? Yeah. Well, and th- that's like, that's always a good way to get a, an overarching conflict. But then you have these, these really smaller little tidbits of, of uh, politics and uh, movements of, of right. you know, stuff. Yeah. And I got to I got to give him credit. The main character fails a lot. Yeah, oh, he, he tries. He falls short. He adapts. He improvises, and he overcomes. Right. <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite types of, especially if we're going to be trapped first person present tense. Like we are literally smashed into this man's skin right up against it. <laughs> a little little bulge is coming out of his cheeks. Like you were right there. You don't get a choice. This is your ride. I just <laughs> imagine the the cameraman for the film yes. is just going to be like right up on him. Oh no no, <laughs> no not, he's, not he's... from the outside, from the inside. We're being pressed out of him from the inside. So if if that's the only vehicle we get to ride in, and it is, him being the type of character who solves problems by being clever. And coming up with new ways to approach, unexpected ways for the other students to deal with, for the proctors to deal with, and perpetually trying to find ways to change, which he so calls change the paradigm. But, you know, think outside the box, Mm -hmm. be different, use the fact that his upbringing is different, his experiences are different, and leverage that into new and unexpected ways to move forward, which from our perspective, if if you have any knowledge of tactics or, or whatever else, maybe some of what he does isn't surprising, but for the gold, it sure is. Because they would never think someone would stoop this low or let themselves be insulted to this extent or whatever else. Whatever mm-hmm. would go against personal honor, he kind of abuses that. And I love it. Well, especially whenever he he takes the flogging for yeah. not, uh, t- not Titus. Um, uh, it was another, it was another T name. Yeah. Oh, um, Tactus. Tactus. Yeah. yeah, whenever he whenever he takes the flogging for Tactus and everyone is just so taken aback by this, this sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Where well, I mean, that's the only way to win them over, essentially. Yeah. And even, I don't know if it's Mustang or Sever, but one of them points out to them, you realize you've given them a tool. To where if they just don't like you. If they decide they don't like you, they can abuse you. You have to be liked. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really like the kind of, you have the character hits a low point. I mean, the character hits a bunch of low points throughout, <laughs> honestly. But he hits you know, a lowest point and then recovers and learns. And it just, to me, as a plot, which... You know, my last note here really is that first person presence tense means that plot holes can be really hard to find because mm-hmm. you, he just didn't know that this guy was going to be here and we can't be like, wait a minute, you were having dinner over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just the opportunity to punch holes in there just isn't there as much. I think Joel has risen to the occasion though and would like to put some holes in it. So I'm going to throw this over to Joel. I, I do. I've got a couple of holes. I, for the plot, I gave it a seven. Okay. That's so, not, I mean, I mean, still, still fairly high. Off. Yeah. And I think mostly it has to do with uh, the first point being Darrow is a genius when the plot needs him to be, and he fails when the plot wants him to fail. And sometimes the transition from failure to genius feels earned, and sometimes it doesn't, right? Like sometimes he just bit. sometimes he just thought six steps ahead and his opponent only thought five steps ahead, mm-hmm. and you don't get to see any of that because it's all first person. 
So we just like, okay, we're along for the ride. Sure. You thought of that. And (laughs) sometimes though, and, and you know, it's something that bothers me. I know it probably bothers Joel in riding is sometimes you have to get lucky. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a sports trope where if you want to go undefeated in a season, sometimes the ball just has to bounce the right way. And that does happen to him, but it doesn't happen to him egregiously. No, it it, it doesn't. The, the only part that really kind of knocked it for me was, um, whenever he had the grav boots on, when Apollo like like brought him up in the mm-hmm. air, mm-hmm. where it's one of the things where it's like we know that he knocked out um, the other Proctor. Well, through that proctor. through that whole sequence, I was waiting. Okay, I know you have this technology. Where when are you going to use it? When are you going to use it? Yeah, and I guess I I I didn't think about him just having it. So mm-hmm. whenever he was like, oh, he has the gravity, so like, oh, that's so cool. And then I thought about, it, I was like, man, he really thought far far ahead because this is like like not like you know like the next. Like yeah. Thing well, happening. I mean, he he knew that the Proctors were his enemies, mm-hmm. at that and he point. knew Apollo was still there. Yeah. So, like, like that part, I don't have a problem with as much as he obviously doesn't know how to use the the signature weapon of the gold, yeah, the, sling the, blade. the sling blade. Like, no, that's, that's not the signature weapon of the gold. no, not the, the sling razor, blade, the, the razor, razor, the razor. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know how to use that. It's commented on that he doesn't know how to use that. That's an important part of the climactic battle is that he's outmatched because he doesn't know how to use the one weapon that can get through their defenses. Mm-hmm. But he does know how to use grav boots, but nowhere in the story is that ever explained why he knows how to use grav boots. They're just they're, they're, really simple to use. They're, they're, they're super simple. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, it doesn't watch, get... No, watch no, I'm, no, watch I'm the first Iron Man, though. Oh, no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic. This, this is super far in the future. Sure. They have their own inertial dampers. Um, just get over it. That was just more of a pet peeve, not like a huge yeah, pothole, right. just yeah, kind yeah. of a, well, I mean, you said he can't use this, but he can use it. No, whatever but he but, has to be able to use the grab boots because they have to use them in order to get up to the one the of the mountain yeah. requires artistry the other is just becoming a human rocket <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really the biggest single plot hole that i can think of is the basically why darrow right like he's he's a prodigy mm-hmm. right and he's, he's the youngest hell diver and he's... presumably his uncle according to dancer did not tell Dancer about him being a prodigy because he knew that Dancer would want him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fair if you don't so, want... So that's that's okay. But like, what about him is the quality that they need? And the only thing that we have to look at is the hands. one test that Dancer puts him through. Which is like the intelligence test. And it's, it's the, it's not, it's a specific kind of intelligence and it's being able to see a trap and change the paradigm. Mm-hmm. And it is an extremely simple test that he claims we have no reason to disbelieve him that if Darrow fails this test, then they're not going to use him. Mm-hmm. And like it just seems so incredibly flimsy for it to be this one card trick where both of them are fail states, but you're told that one of them is a success state. And so you have to figure out how to succeed when when all of your options are to fail. Fail. Well, and and it's it's like sure, maybe he'd get it. Maybe he doesn't get it because his wife just died, and you just pulled him out <laughs> of the in ground. Shambles, and, and he's in he shock, dead, right? Right, like, and then you just throw him away. But he was still a prodigy. So like that that whole the process of choosing Darrow from the resistance's point of view felt really flimsy. So Darrow's Darrow's motivations were great. Like everything everything on Darrow's side of that was good. But right, so I want to jump into that because I don't know how well it was covered or not, or if it was brought up or not. Cause it was like a little blurb at the start of a chapter. And I don't know how the audible book handled that. It does mention 
that when Darrow was bitten as a younger child by the pit vipers, he goes into this like it was bitten yeah, in the yeah, stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his uncle, quote unquote, sucked the blood out or the, the poison out. Yeah, and they just said, well, that's not that's not how this works. Well, in the in the blurb, it actually proposes that but he, he didn't get some of all it of it out and that fighting that poison perpetually makes your heart stronger. Yeah. Which well, is what allows well, the, him to survive the, cutter, the modifications. The, the cutter talks about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that could be because the uncle knows, right? He he knows this, that this presumably. presumably this is a result of what has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is an informant. Well, cause, I mean, like, I guess the other question is, does the uncle know how society is up top? Well, he's an informant, he's so an he has informant. to have some idea. I mean, he's informing them for some reason, right? Yeah. So you don't know how much he knows. Mm-hmm. And obviously you don't get to find out because he's a perpetual drunk and you only get smashed into Darrow's face and you don't get to see anything else. But, but like, But like all of that gets a little bit worse with the inclusion of Titus, right? Because you yes. have another red presumably on exactly the same mission. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the shotgun approach. And, and part of it is you don't know really anything about the resistance. So there might be other cells that are doing the same yeah, this, thing. This could not be completely un- uncoordinated. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, that's a possibility. It's a good way to, to get everyone killed. And so the great way. Yes. So like, but the thing is, this is still, we're looking at this from the perspective of only the first book of yep. the series. Mm-hmm. And we don't really sure know. Are. There's the a lot of stuff that could be going on. For instance, the first thing that I thought of when he discovered Titus's, you know, origins is, is, is this common practice for the golds? Like are the golds behind the resistance because they want new blood in the golds and they don't <laughs> want their own cast to stagnate? I mean that, that well, like you, you definitely <laughs> have the conflict within the golds, right? And and you see it with the way the jackal is treated between the nepotism. Yeah. And people who still believe meritocracy should be a thing. Yeah. Uh, Fitchner is kind of an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's done everything. He's, he's a proctor. He has not risen as far as he feels he should have, but he's done everything right as far as quote unquote he's concerned. Yeah, but it's still a rigged game. Right. And there are a lot of wheels within wheels going on, even within just the first book. When we have Dara makes the slip up in the confrontation with Apollo and Severo makes a reference to, oh, well, the audio is garbled, so I just deleted it. Yeah. And it's like, is this guy helping him? Is he only helping him because, because he's loyal to because him of friendship, mm-hmm. right? Which we get kind of beaten into us. Hey, these loyalties are temporary. Yeah. They are of, of opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's still, there's enough of wheels moving on in there for me to kind of give some of these a pass because it has to unfold. If it doesn't, if it doesn't land later, then. Yeah. And then, wow. I mean, it, it is difficult to, to just analyze a single installment out of a series because the author intends it to be a full arc, yeah, right? Well, it, it still needs to make time, sense yeah. within within the confines of a singular book, though. Yeah. Or in, in well, I mean, it's it's perfectly acceptable to put in things that don't make sense because they're not supposed to make sense until yeah. you get information from a later book. So, yeah. like, if you look at it as a single book, you're like, well, that's a plot hole. It doesn't make sense. But it's actually just an unresolved mystery. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a possibility. Yeah. So, Andrew? We've, uh, we've been having our shots here. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> Uh, so I gave it a nine. It seems like we're pretty much like right, right in line yeah. here. Uh, I we kind of talked about a lot of the stuff that you know I, I was going to bring up. But, <laughs> Rip. Um, I still have points. No, I mean I I have five points too. Really, I mean the the whole plot like was pretty su- surprising because I was not expecting just you know. Lord of the Flies for three fourths <laughs> of the book. Yeah, I, I I was getting through and I was like, okay, cool. They're gonna go do like a little you know game thing or whatever, and then you know by the end of the book, he'll get 
you know, accepted into something, which is what happened. But I didn't realize that, like, whenever they were explaining the game, that the game was actually, like, a year of their life. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was your time at the Institute. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Uh, and the the thing that I one of the things that I just love throughout the whenever they're inside of the game or whether or in the valley is every once in a while, whenever like tensions got super high, there's always that one person. They're like, it's a game. We're still in school. And then like, you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. They are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be. This is. Yes. For class. Yes. But 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 dead people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only the only way we got into the school was by killing someone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, I, I do like whenever he's talking to Fitchner, maybe like the first or second time mm-hmm. where he, he's like, you know, people are dead. And he's like, it's within limits. Right. Like he's yeah. like, okay. And, and he figures it out. Right. Yeah. Because he figures out because they, they haven't been stopping the killings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though they're like, you don't kill each other. But if it happens, it happens. It happens, yeah. Like, accidents happen. But, like, they're not even taking that much of an effort to stop it. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, I know that you actually intend this. Mm-hmm. How many of us can die? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and, that's within limit. Yeah. It's like 13%. Uh, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and that was, I think, the same the same conversation that he had whenever he was he was like, oh, yeah, well, the jackal is probably, like, the he's the furthest ahead right now mm-hmm. in in stuff. And then you find out later that he's actually really terrible at what he's doing because he he locked his entire house into a, a cavern and then cannibalized on them because yeah. they were stuck there for two in, months or until whatever. literally daddy was like, oh, my God, my son's an idiot. <laughs> look, if I give you some money, could you just go dig him out and give him some weapons? It, please? it honestly <laughs> felt a lot like um, Joffrey from Game of Thrones with like where you have uh, Cersei and um, Jamie that have this, you know, like demon offspring that is just such a, like, he's just terrible at everything he does. He's just kind of a horrible person. Yeah. And he's just a bad person. And then he's just like, well, you're the only one I got. So I got to try and lift you up. They, they, the author does give the jackal a sort of a menace all his own. That Mm -hmm. it's, it's different. He is not a, he's not a fighter. He's not a leader. He is not a fighter, uh, but he is a strategist and Mm -hmm. he is willing to do anything right yeah literally anything to win yeah because because the the sealing them in was the last ditch answer strategy of this is a really bad situation but the other alternative is we actually lose yeah Yeah. but i i do like how he fitchner said he's like yeah he would have been captured within the first like two weeks of the game yeah because he's just terrible at whatever he was doing the but yeah i mean like the the whole game part was like i was interested with the with the setting and everything going into that and then once that happened i was like "Ooh, this is like really my jam yeah Yeah. because you got to you got to see so much more from the characters than i was expecting to maybe get uh especially with the supporting characters once the supporting characters were established as characters that were going to be of importance for him yeah because there's so many because like each individual group starts with 50 students and you just like so many are falling left and right as you <laughs> bring, go. Bring on the and, culling. And all of them have names, right? Because yeah. like, I mean, they're, they're. Well, and, and they're, hypothetically, they're all essentially equal in the, yeah. in the hierarchy, assuming that no one's cheating. Right. Well, and you also have the people who, who aren't being supported by parents who are cheating for them. Yeah. AKA the jackal. But you have other people who are like, well, I'm the son of such and such, such, such. You can't do this to me. And Darrow doesn't really have that weight of expectations of, oh, I should be be propped up and helped by daddy because yeah that's not what life was yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and 
I don't really have anything else to say for plot. Okay, well, I, I'm going to throw yeah. in one other yeah, knock yourself thing down. about EO specifically, mm-hmm. because there was some concern, right? We're going to kill the main character's wife early to develop the character and move the plot forward, and it kind of feels a little fridgy, mm-hmm. which is concerning, but I'll give them... Do I want to give him props for killing someone in a reasonable... Yeah, okay, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what this book does to me. It was kind of, it was well played in the sense that it was her mistake that put them in the situation they end up in. Mm-hmm. And then it is actually a survivable thing. And she chooses, like she, yeah. she deliberately does what she does to commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could make the argument because Darrow has the issue with the sons of Ares where, well, why didn't you save her? Mm-hmm. And this is maybe plays back into the idea. Well, what makes him different or valuable? Mm-hmm. Uh, but throughout like playing that trauma out throughout was really well done just across the book because yeah. they made it meaningful and especially and especially because even yeah. as even as he's falling in love with virginia mustang mustang he is her name is mustang <laughs> until said otherwise okay uh even as he's falling in love with her he is he always struggling, going back struggling with with wanting to be loyal to his dead wife and, and he, he takes big risks, too, because this is part of his identity, his personal identity. And you're putting a spy on in deep cover, like the deepest cover. He doesn't even have his original body at this point. Yeah. And he's still permitted to bring along his pendant mm-hmm. with the flower inside of it from his wife, mm-hmm. his wedding band. Which, and he gets to keep his name. And, yeah, and he fights to keep his name, which I think those things were really important in terms of how well is he going to hold on to himself? Because mm-hmm. those are his touchstones. Mm-hmm. And while he doesn't have them for a lot of the game until I think Fitchner brings it to yes. him is, or Severo, someone, someone gets it as like a bounty and gives it to him because they realize it's his. I think it's something. Severo. I think it's Severo too, yeah. which fits. But uh, I thought that was really interesting just because it is ultimately, well, this is you know a terrorist organization trying to put a deep cover spy in and they're leaving flags that could get him caught. But it's so important that it has to go in because at some point he doesn't just need to hold on to his identity. The terrorist cell needs him to remember that he's a red because we can't mm-hmm. put you through all this, pamper you, and then you learn how to be quote unquote better than us. And then you just join society. And, and, like, and oh, like, thanks guys. Bye. Talking about that, like I thought that it was really, really well done on the author's part to actually have commentary on political philosophy going mm-hmm. on through the game and the way that the, the feudal systems between the houses develop. And all of that stuff, like, uh, you know, in, in, in this genre, it's easy to come up with, well, we're going to design this game and our characters have to go through this game. But unlike a lot of the others, this game had something interesting to say yeah. while it was being played. And so part of the thing that it had to say was it is teaching through firsthand knowledge, these kids, these individuals, what civilization means and what empire means. And, and why it's so difficult to hold on to it and, and so important to create it and maintain it and how inevitable it is because if you right. don't do it someone else will yes and it is so easy to see someone getting brainwashed by that process coming coming from a supposed position of good and moving through this process and ending up not being a good person at the end but they had good intentions yeah 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 no i i was shocked by the depth honestly in this so now we're going to move forward and talk about the writing and do I give it to Joel to start? I, I mean, I actually technically you, haven't started anything. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> full apology. We'll let, you know what? I think 
Andrew and I's themes are going to be a little different from Joel, so he's pretty protected anyway, so he can go last. Andrew, take us away. <laughs> uh, I mean, I actually gave writing an eight. It, it, it was kind of one of, the, I mean, really the only two major knocks were just, it, it, take, it took pretty much a quarter of the book for me to get through the, the present tense because there was a couple portions at the beginning of the book where he's like on the, the drill and doing stuff where it's happening so quickly and it's like the first or second chapter of the book, I'm just like, I have no idea what is happening right now. It's, it's pretty brutal. They, they world, he world builds through like slang and whatnot yeah. real fast. The, the thing that I, one of the things that I really liked about it though, towards the end of the book was almost the exact same thing where the action is happening and then you have no idea what's about to happen because he has no idea mm-hmm. what's about to happen. So when something does happen, it's actually really exciting. And, and, and basically, if he doesn't think it verbally, quotation marks, that, then you don't know what's gonna, what he's mm-hmm. going to do either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, always, there's like one layer of like, you don't know what external people are going to do. Then you also don't know what internal things are going to do if he hasn't like vocalized it, yeah. essentially. Right. And especially like the, the scene whenever he captures the jackal with the knife, I was in my car, like, you know, waiting to go into Home Depot. And I was like, well, I can't I have to wait for the whole chapter to finish because like, <laughs> well, because I was actually afraid that he was going to tell this dude that, um, you he's know, that, slip that, up. That he was going to slip up because, you know, as far as you know, he's just drunk. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is like too early in the book for this to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, he does the bait and switch where he he captures the jackal. And then you're like, oh, 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 this is cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will say I did actually catch the earlier mention about the wine, which mm-hmm. was just grapes, because he actually mentions, oh, they, they, they even looted 50 gallons of grape juice because they hadn't had time to ferment yet, which why was Bacchus even hold on to this? And then he immediately uses it. Yeah. Which was nice. But no, that that scene is really tense. Yeah, I I, I don't really have anything else to, to okay. add on, so you guys can add and then I'll interject. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'll jump in. I'm wearing. Keep, keep Joel at the <laughs> back of the bus. Get back, Joel. Back, back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I gave the writing a nine. Okay, mostly because the first person present tense is kind of an insane risk. It, it's more acceptable within the YA and dystopia genres. I mean, first person is everywhere in YA. Yeah, absolutely. Present tense is a huge risk, especially billing it as sci-fi mm-hmm. and not YA. It, it's even bigger risk. And I think the, the downsides of it really show early on mm-hmm. because when you have to have a care, especially from us, you know, we're all in our thirties and we're reading this, this dude's 16 <laughs> and the first two chapters, man, this guy is full of himself. He is on top of life. And, you know, the author needs you. He needs this character to describe himself to you. Or you're not going to know who he is or what's going on. Yeah. And this through this huge lens of arrogance, et cetera. And that's pretty rough read. And I actually think it pays off really well because throughout the book going forward, he's kind of. At the start of the book, he's at his highest emotional point in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and he is really beaten and downtrodden off of that to build himself up into potentially a better person, which is, you know, you got to have an arc, got to have it, got to have a dip in there somewhere, right? Yeah. The, the it, dip just happens real fast. Real fast <laughs> and real hard. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting how at the beginning, especially his sentences are very short. 
He's very terse. His vocabulary isn't huge. He has a specific slang of curse words, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then as the book goes on, the writer expands his vocab because he's learning. His sentences become longer, especially when he's thinking internally about himself. Mm-hmm. He has more developed thoughts in a sense or a better way to articulate what he's thinking to us, thankfully. And, but then when you hit these big shifts of pressure, and Joel, you touched on this a little bit, he reverts to form, right? Mm-hmm. The sentences get short and choppy. It gets hard to know what's going on, which helps convey the harshness of the action. He's uncertain. He's scared. He's concerned. He's taking big risks. But it, it's an interesting way to show the character off in that when it comes down to it, who does he revert to? Is he Darrow of the Gold or Darrow of the Red? Mm-hmm. And in pressure, he's red. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's still who he is. He hasn't been compacted into something different well, yet. And he still has the, like the primal urges of someone that would be from, you know, a, a drilling rig. Right. Yeah. Where, a really rough lifestyle, honestly. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, go ahead. No? Okay. Um, but it's, it's interesting just because of how much it can ramp up the intensity, especially when he's under a lot of duress, stress, pressure, or and you're pain. like, or pain, because he, he gets put in a lot of pain and it's just like, buddy, don't slip up. Like all the times that he's around Cassius and internally he knows he killed Cassius's brother mm-hmm. to get into this stage of the game mm-hmm. and Cassius is going to kill the SOB that did this to his beautiful, wonderful brother, yada, 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 yada. And you know, it's just the the sweating meme off to the side. You get the big vein on the forehead. You yeah. can't handle this. And his his sentences crunch down. He's like, Darrow, don't mess up. Don't revert to form. And same thing with you and the jackal. Yeah. And then, I mean, it does eventually happen with Apollo. But I thought that was a great play in writing and a really good use of how he started as a person and then how it affects him going through, mm-hmm. expressed through the actual words on the page, right? Because that's not always an easy thing to do. And I mean, I could almost imagine you know, uh, Pierce Brown is sitting there as he's writing out these intense scenes and he's getting more intense and it's getting harder and harder for him to write these sentences and they're getting shorter and shorter. His words look like crap. And he's like, what did I write here? Is this, 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 that, whatever, just put it in, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But I, it was really interesting just to see that, that transformation because again, first person, present tense, you don't get that very often and it's for a reason because it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So on that note, I'll hand it over to Joel. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick up that standard and I'm going to carry on and continue saying good things after I give you the score, which is a six. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) So I thought that even though, you know, the first person present tense really jarring, it took me probably three quarters of the book to get to where I wasn't just seeing that pulsing in my face as which I'm is, reading which the is book, impressive because right? you were listening to it you weren't actually like for <laughs> it me was, it was still a visual experience <laughs> for, for me i physically looked at the page and went oh no this is first person oh this is present tense what's going on yeah uh, yeah it was that was weird but like you know that's 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 not something to to ding the author on because that is that is a legitimate narrative style choice mm-hmm. right and i thought that the 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 voice that he used, like you were talking about, was very well developed and very distinct and really gave you insight into the character. And that's one of the strengths of the first person viewpoint. Right. Is that it lends itself to being really intimately involved in the emotional state of a single character. And and as long as it's well written and it's a character that's interesting that you can you can relate to, kind of like what you said at the beginning of the cast, mm-hmm. was if you can't relate to him in any form, it's gonna be a really hard read. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really awkward. But, but if you if you do hit that kind of that that level with him as you're reading, it can be really exhilarating, honestly. Yeah. 
But then to kind of <laughs> change tone a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, kind of going on to something that was a little maybe, maybe like almost there, but not quite there, mm-hmm. was the way that he would fairly consistently refer to things from the perspective of, oh, if you're from Earth, then this would be the language you would understand. Like he talks about being 18 year old, 18 years old, Earth standard. Right. But, almost as an aside. Well, that and he talks about that one at least is fair because the, the big issue with sci-fi is, you know, how do you, how, how do you measure how many hours you have? Sure. How many? So that one I'll accept. But then, then there's the, the deerlings, which are just gene- deer. genetically modified deer. So they, they, they look different, but he doesn't, he doesn't describe, and this is a, another point too, but he doesn't describe them. He mm-hmm. just says, if you are from earth, then you would yeah. think they sort of look like deer. So he he constantly refers to things from an Earther's perspective, but the character has never been to There's Earth. There's no reason to think the that The only way. reason right. that he knows anything about Earth is because of the, the crammed education that he got uh, in order to become ooh, gold. Ooh, ooh, no, actually, shoot. That actually might fall apart. So early on, because he's a minor, right? And they mm. literally, this is a, an enslaved population. Oh, yeah, they, they he, watch the HC. Yes, he does not... Like when the day's work is over, you don't go outside and hang out. They live underground. They're packed in. The only thing they get is the official propaganda of the society right mm-hmm. through the HC. And a lot of that is based around showing them like Earth and what they could make Mars be. So he actually says this like when he steps out into the garden at the start with EO. Mm-hmm. It's the first time he's seen sky, but he no, – like trees, leaves. He's seen all this on the hollow, but he never expected it to hit as hard as it did. Yeah. And, you know, oh, I, I'm familiar with it, but I didn't expect to have the nostalgic yearning for something I've never known. Yeah. So he does have familiarity where he would say, well, I know these are all Earth broadcasts. Oh, you know, if if I was looking at this from Earth, yeah, I would have said that's a deer, but I know it's not yeah. because I've so, seen them. So, so it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I'll give it a pass. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to to see it from that perspective, but it's still it's cheap still, and easy. It's still a missed opportunity yes. because you could have used those situations to reinforce to me, the reader, the fact that this is someone who is not from Earth. Right. Or or you could have at least beaten in that he's never seen it in person before. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I only saw this on National Geographic yep. 2020 or whatever. <laughs> and I never expected it to be this fast, this small, this brown, yeah. something. Give me something so, that's new. So, so yeah. I mean, kind of piggybacking on that, there is almost no description in oh, the God. entire piece. Yes. Nope. Yes. Right. And there is, because like, I mean, talking about the deerlings, like there is no telling you the reader what this thing looks like with words. It is just a picture of deer. It's basically that. And he does a very good job at describing the violence though. And and emotions. And emotions. But like you don't, the character is constantly making uh, conclusions mm-hmm. and just telling the reader the conclusions. And instead of the author describing the input that the character is getting so that you can make the conclusions along with the character. And so essentially through the entire book, the author is telling you and not showing you, Mm -hmm. which is a, it's a bit of a problem. It's a thing. Well, and you know, the, the flip side to that is ultimately he didn't sit down to be Robert Jordan, right? He didn't sit down to write a bajillion words about a city that you'll see once or whatever. Sure, He sat down to write really, really tight emotional decisions of hierarchy, leadership, civilization, these kinds of things. Violence. Right? That's, and, and violence. And, and, the book, and the violence inherent in the system. And the book definitely <laughs> the book definitely still works, right? right. Like yeah, yeah. N- none of this completely undermines the book in any way. 
Uh, and like on top of that, if you add more description and you start trying mm. to pull the reader along instead of just handing them uh, conclusions, you you start to up that word count. Right. The word count of this book is already sitting at just under 125,000 words, which is way up the upper end of what your typical adult novel or the sci-fi fantasy genre is is desired to be at by by publishing houses. Right. So if you if you start putting in a lot of extra stuff in order to satisfy my desires for how the writing has <laughs> to be done, then you start having to cut plot elements. Other other pieces. Yeah. Right. And then at that point, like you're, you're, I, you're I think you're I think holes. there were two extraneous castle assaults that didn't have to be in the story. I, I could probably agree with that. Like like because there was the one whenever they were taking over series, which I think was really important to the story mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that that basically freed up Mustang to be a um, rogue. A, agent. A, yeah, rogue agent, mm-hmm. essentially. But the second one. Well, no, I, I think that even the one later on when they like he basically like he, they're both him and Mustang are both healthy and then they are gathering forces to go and take another castle. Apollo's, and ha- it's yeah, Apollo's castle. Yeah, and how they're how they're going to take it. Like I think that was also pretty important too, just because it was the, you know, I'm going to hold the guy over here that's that that has the power to stop this from happening, mm-hmm. and I'm going to keep him distracted while my you know my dudes are crawling through bathrooms. Yeah, to- well, like like I really like the sequence of we have part one, he's a red. Part two, he's in he's in physical transition. Part three. He is rising and ultimately falling as head of his house in the mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. And part four is where he's the rogue agent and he's realized that he has to play against the proctors, not against the other students. Right. Yeah. And so like, I really love that structure. I just feel like you could have, you could have shrunk a little, a, a, little bit. a little bit out of each one of them. And then you gain the room to really texture your world mm-hmm. with extra description. Yeah, and that's, I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not I'm not prepared to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> just just say that say that now. I am. You're just not prepared to no, tell no, me. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but what no. he's saying is, is that two out of three of us enjoyed it. No, 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 no. Enjoyment is not relevant to this discussion. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not telling you you're wrong because listening to Andrew's first bit about this, right? The first couple of chapters where Darrow is just talking about himself and where he is, and it was just what is going on? Oh, you're in a mine. Oh, we're on Mars. Oh God, please just talk to somebody else for a yeah. minute. I mm-hmm. like that's that point, especially at the start, there there needed to be like new environment, new description of the environment, move forward in the environment. Well, especially yeah. whenever like he he got done with his work day and then he went and they did the whole Laurel thing. And then, you know, EO brought him aside and they went over to the um to the garden. Right. And 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 I'm like, oh my gosh. He finally has someone to have a conversation with with. Mm -hmm. so we can have any kind of information (laughs) about what is happening. And she's dead. Okay. (laughs) Back to the problem. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I honestly, the first few chapters were, were nuts because it was like, and she's dead. Okay. We saw that coming and he's killing himself and you're going to get out of this. Do I get a new main character? What's happening right now? And then it's like, (laughs) okay, we got a little bait and switch. Yeah. That's a little... I don't, I don't, don't put Chewie in the other transport. Don't do this. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I mean, they, they did commit to EO's going to die and she's going to die for her cause. Now there was a literary trick that the author used that I loved. 
uh-huh. which was at the very beginning when he's describing his father's death and he uses the phrase, they let the loved ones do it. Yes. Mm. And then when his wife dies and he's like, she was too light and the, the rope, because of the low gravity on Mars, the rope wasn't killing her quickly. And, and then they let the, they loved, let the loved ones do it. And yeah. you know it's him. And it's yeah. just, and so you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah. because it's like, it is the no good option. Do yeah. You let the loved ones suffer. Do you put them out of their suffering? Are mm-hmm. you that literally the gold are forcing them to kill themselves, which yep. is played out throughout, right? They always favor the gammas and it's the competition of well, who can beat the gammas and no one can because it's rigged. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that travel up the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's really interesting just because you have so many parallels throughout each level that you get to see. Mm-hmm. And within the reds, it's not as compressed. It's a little more spread out in how it's operating. Within the golds, it's hyper compressed because it's such a competitive society that is theoretically a meritocracy and an execution may not be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, go deeper into the books. We'll find out more maybe. I don't know. Well, and, and you know, it's it, again, we haven't, me and Joel haven't read the, mm-hmm. the second book yet, but it, it definitely feels like a lot of the the kind of curtain was was lifted up to many of the the people that survived the game mm-hmm. and especially like Mustang cuz she like that's i mean the governor is her dad and arch he, arch governor arch governor whatever cuz the terms are a little weird <laughs> uh but you know he like he clearly does not favor her at all and you right. know he even says it in the um uh, whenever he's talking with um with Darrow at the end there but you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I don't going into the second book, I'll be interested to see if any of these other characters, one, carry over. And then two, if they they kind of start having these, you know, disenfranchised feelings about, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, clearly this was not the game that we were here to play. Right. Yeah. No, the the fact that so much of the book is devoted to the game, which mm-hmm. is just a small drama yeah. within the greater game not just not just for for the other gold but for darrow right like his purpose is so much bigger yeah so much grander than this or, or at least he they hope it is right yeah. he hopes he expects it to be you know to make eo's dream true yeah because i i really also uh, we're kind of into just talking about it in general <laughs> now but i i gotta give him props to for kind of the shift because when he is you know recruited into re- recruited when he's dug up and pushed into the sons of Ares, <laughs> uh, He's focused on vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. And Dancer kind of pulls that down a little bit, you know, tone, you know, tone it down. He's like, I want to kill the arch governor. He's like, whoa, whoa, that is, to- that is so small, small potatoes right. here. You're not changing yeah. it. You're just causing a death. That doesn't change anything. Yeah. And then you, you do get that, a kind of a nice decompression for the character over the course of him being genetically altered because it's such a long process. Mm-hmm. For him to really internalize and make decisions, et cetera. And then you put him in the game and it's right back to the raw emotion, you know, vengeance, retribution, all these primal, deep instincts within you know, humankind. Yeah. And he indulges in a fair number of them and sometimes that goes wrong. But then you hit the very end of the book and he is right there. He is standing next to the arch governor and could literally probably just snap the dude's neck and accomplish what he wanted to do at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, He's either broadened his horizons and said, this won't be how I accomplish Ao's dream. Yeah. Or he's letting himself be subsumed into gold society and it's just becoming another cog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't know. So I, I really like that, that we have a conclusion, but it's because we have more books. It's not necessarily exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. 
Uh, I guess I think we've covered everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, moving on to originality. Originality. Yes. Doesn't come into the actual um, aggregate score. No. No. It, no factor is, in our rating. Our own personal feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, we've had plenty. Which of Which so all far. of them have been our own personal feelings. Yeah. But these are more of them. <laughs> these, these, are, these are more <laughs> personal feelings. Uh, uh, I gave originality a seven. I, you know, it's, it's still a YA dystopian It going into it, even knowing nothing about the book, I still had a general idea of what it was going to be. And it kind of was, mm. but then it turned into, you know, Lord of the flies, game of Thrones, feudal war for three fourths of the book. And I was, I was all there for it. I loved it. Uh, I, honestly, I'm really excited to start listening to the second book, probably this coming week. And the fun part is I have about two hours left of the second wheel of time book. And then we started this one, and I'm just gonna just keep going with this one. <laughs> <laughs> All sad. <laughs> well, I gave it an eight. Yeah, because the same reasons, right? YA dystopia, Brent. What have you done to us? Why? And then it's like, oh, these are all of these tropes taken to an extreme, and, a and very done high better. level. Yeah, it's, a lot of it is done just better. I mean, it's kind of cheating because you know the the whole. Uh, Newton quote, you know, if I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants, mm, yeah. right? Mm. But I, I mean, I don't know if that's the case here or if it's that he's kind of crushing what's beneath him because he's the giant, <laughs> you know? Uh, but overall, no, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. My expectations weren't super high. Uh, the first couple of chapters were rough. Yep. And then all of a sudden stuff clicked and we were off the races and I'm all in finishing the book, throw down some notes, pick up book two. I want to know what's going on. Yeah, and you're almost done with book two. I'm halfway. I, I, I only spent like a day or so reading into book two yeah. and then left it be because real life. And I had a bunch of other yeah, podcast, other podcast related things, yeah, other stuff that had to be done. So, yep. you know, so it goes. Joel. Well, I gave it a six for originality just because like it's, all of the elements, regardless of how well they were executed, which was overall very well, mm -hmm. are are pulled from an established line of this kind of story. You have uh, everything from Hunger Games, which precedes this, uh, published in 2014. Uh, I'm sorry, 2008. This this was published in 14. Mm -hmm. um, all the way back to Ender's Game, published in 1985, where it's it's pulling elements from a rich history of YA and YA adjacent dystopian um uh, sci-fi esque yeah, sci-fi yeah. sort of sort of things and and it recombined things in fun and interesting ways mm -hmm. and again it was executed fairly well um but ultimately you know, middling for originality I mean yeah. it's still a YA but that doesn't mean that it wasn't entertaining absolutely oh no, it was incredibly enjoyable and we just want to thank Brent Wong once again for yeah the suggestion. that was uh, a really fun read. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I feel like I did him a little bit of a disservice because I was like, oh man, like why does what are you doing? Well, to me? see, every time we see him now, whenever we go play X Wing, he's just going to make fun of I'm us. I'm never going to hear the end. Yeah, of that. never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> but, anyways, that sounds like all the time we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Andrew, and I'm Joel. And every spoiler was intended. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, you can support the show for as low as $1 at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. We also have a discord server and would love to have more people joining in the conversation. Links are in the description below. Thank you.